Hello, this is Derek Ray, and you're listening to Bavarian Podcast Works. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Bavarian Podcast Works show. My name is Jake Fenner. I am joined by Tom Adams. Tom, how are you doing on this fine uh, Wednesday evening? Well, you know, it's not been my week as a joint Bayern Munich and Liverpool fan in the Champions League, but you know what? I'm always about keeping things positive. It's only halftime, respectively, in both legs, so it ain't over until the fat lady sings, so to speak, as the old saying goes, and feeling good. Just just got done with a quick run on the treadmill after cramming in all of the highlights from the other games uh, this week as well, so I feel like I'm all caught up uh, and, and ready to get into the pod. We will be talking a little bit more about Bayern's result against PSG, more specifically people that were not there, people that were like coaching or helping to build the roster, which kind of gives away that story, and people that were on the pitch for more reasons than one. The first thing that we want to tackle today on the podcast is something that we covered, I believe, in our last full episode, also right off the bat. We talked about the Frauen team, and we wanted you guys to let us know, either in the comments or on Twitter, whether or not you liked our coverage and whether or not you wanted us to do more of it. Uh, We saw a number of positive reactions all over Twitter. Um, from a number of people, including a Twitter acquaintance that I have, who is a comms director for the Washington Spirit. She knows who she is. Um, and so we've come to the conclusion that we have not been doing enough justice to uh, the Byron Frauen team in terms of coverage on this podcast, and we are going to change that. We are going to start implementing more and more women's coverage And all we ask for the people at home is two things. Number one, until uh, the Frauen Bundesliga is picked up by somebody, please understand that it is oftentimes very hard for us to find uh, the ability to watch these. Anyone that's a fan of the Bayern Frauen can attest that it's very hard in the U.S. to find coverage unless it's on, on Facebook, on YouTube, or if Bayern actually produces the games themselves and broadcasts it. The second thing that we ask from the our audience is a little bit of time, right? I want to call it two weeks for us to fully review the team, for us to fully understand the history behind the team, how the team works, each of the players and their backgrounds and how good they have and have not been because the more time that we're allowed to cover this, the more time we're allowed to research it, the better the product is going to be, the more confident we are in terms of covering it and therefore the better the coverage will be in terms of its informational quality and its... Uh, quality to you guys. We want this to be good. We want to be the best Bayern podcast out there, and we feel that it's important to cover the women's team, but we need time in order to do that. So our hope is that over the next two weeks leading up to Bayern's first leg in the semifinals, 
we will be able to educate ourselves enough to be able to talk about the team formations, etc., etc. But between now and then, there was an important result. There are two important results. Three important results, one of which was not a game. Okay, you got my point. Uh, Bayern beat Rosengard 1-0 in their second leg of the UEFA Women's Champions League, winning 4-0 on aggregate, advancing to the semifinals. They drew... Chelsea. <laughs> I say Chelsea, obviously, uh, with some restraint because of the history and tradition between the two clubs normally at the men's levels, but I mean, anyone that knows the roster of this Chelsea team can also attest to the fact that there's reason behind me being hesitant in saying Chelsea, they are a very good team, and we hope to dive into that. Uh, but outside of the Champions League, domestically, the Bayern Frauen's uh, undefeated streak was broken at the hands of uh, VfL Wolfsburg in the DFB Pokal, right? So they are still undefeated in the Frauenliga. They lost their first game domestically to Wolfsburg, a team that we would expect Bayern to have its toughest competition uh, against. So, I mean, a goal in the 13th minute from Alex Pop and then a goal in... Uh, injury time from Pajor in the 45th minute doesn't give Bayern much of an advantage and they weren't able to pounce on that or turn that tide at any point. Uh, so unfortunately, the Frauen are out, um, but they are still undefeated in the Frauen Liga for now, knocking on wood, and we have an important game against Chelsea coming up. So Tom, Despite this minor setback, do you still believe that this team is pretty well poised to go forward and capture the title and take it over from Wolfsburg, who have won the last, I don't know, a billion Frauenliga titles? Of course, it's a, a bit of a disappointment that they were knocked out of the DFB Pokal by Wolfsburg, and it's ironic because I know, Jake, the last episode where it was all three of us, myself, you, and Chuck, when we were talking about the Frauen Bundesliga and the, the women's game, uh, as a collective, we were speaking of the fact that those who are at least slightly in the know of the women's European game would have been aware that Wolfsburg has been a powerhouse for, for quite some time. And, you know, this is one of the first seasons in a good while that the Bayern Frauen are really giving them a run for their money. And as disappointing as it is to have the Frauen not be in the running for the treble anymore, I mean, imagine how cool that would have been just one season after the men's team did so. Uh, I think just as you asked, they're very, very well poised to go on and, and get two titles. I mean, I think their dominance in both the Champions League fixtures that they've had as well as the Frauen Bundesliga speak for themselves. And I know we spoke of their defensive record and their scoring record on the last episode. And, you know, it's quite impressive, especially with some of the injuries that they have to the squad. You know, they are missing some important players, you know, Julia Gwynn in one of them, which we had talked about last episode. And obviously we all need to do our due diligence and kind of sharpen our skills and, and get very familiarized with this squad. Um, what I did read particularly about the DFB Pokal semifinal between the two is just it was Wolfsburg's compactness and you know ability to kind of thwart Bayern from getting any time on the ball in the attacking third that really paid dividend and, and helped Wolfsburg get past them and win 2-0. Uh, 
uh, particularly two players in the report that I had read uh, that were chatted up, so to speak, were um, Lena Oberdorf and Ingrid Engen building up out of the back. That was highlighted as really one of the key points that helped Wolfsburg keep dominance in this game and really take it to Bayern, building up out of the back, utilizing their wings, uh, taking the most of their chances, as uh, we know our men didn't do very well, but we'll get into that uh, when we talk about the, the PSG match. But yeah, and I mean, this is something that's characteristic of this Wolfsburg team from everything that I've read, that I've read about them over the years uh, and everything I've seen, the compactness, the organization, you know, the use of the, uh, the wings building out of the back, uh, and they were just a better team on the night from everything that I had read about this game and all the highlights I'd seen by all accounts. And it's unfortunate, yes, that Bayern Frauen is knocked out of this competition, but it still would be amazing if they were able to complete the double in the Women's Champion League, Champions League excuse me, and the Frauen Bundesliga. And they, Jake, as I said, are very well poised to do both of those. So that is going to end our coverage of the Frauen for now again allow us more time to be able to learn more about the team so that we can talk about them more in depth like they fully deserve. But we have another game that we have to talk about, a another unfortunate result. I already shared my opinions and my thoughts on Byron's 3-2 loss to Paris Saint-Germain on the post-game show. Be sure to check that out after this episode, after you're done listening to this episode. But there are a number of developments that were coming before this game, that happened during this game, and could have potential after this game. So let's start with before the game happened. It was revealed on Tuesday that uh, Hansi Flick wanted to start Serge Gnabry up top for this game against Paris Saint-Germain, despite Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting having a pretty good game last game. Unfortunately, uh, the injury gods got in the way yet again. He tested positive for COVID-19. According to the team, he is home, he is safe, he is feeling well. Now, whether or not this was a false positive, we have yet to decide whether or not he will be healthy enough to come back. Let's all kind of just assume that he probably won't. Tom. Obviously, what we saw from the game was that this team could have used a substitute like Gnabry at some point. What were your thoughts uh, when you heard the announcement about uh, his positive test? Yeah, it's just like one of those things where a lot of us were hyping up Gnabry, especially for the goal-scoring form that he's been in for the German national team, and in particular coming out of this international break. And of course, after we heard the news about uh, Robert Lewandowski and the knee injury that he suffered against on Andorra of all teams, which is you know adding insult to injury both literally and figuratively. You know we thought that he was going to be the main man, and we had even written up the report. Hansi Flick had all but confirmed that he was going to be starting Gnabry up front, just as Joachim Love had done for Germany uh, during their qualifiers for the international break, uh, which just concluded last week, but. <laughs> This is it was just too good to be true, right? Gnabry's in great form for Germany. He's just going to translate this to Bayern in the red shirt. Easy, easy replacement. Nope, we have to get the positive coronavirus test. And as you mentioned, Jake, unfortunately, at the time, we don't know that it's a, a false positive like it was several months ago back in the fall when I th believe I want to say he missed the first 
match in the group stages against Atletico Madrid. You can correct me if I'm wrong in that, but I know he missed a handful of matches and it turned out to be a false positive. So that uh, was pretty infuriating, but obviously health and safety is the most important thing. Everybody took the appropriate precautions that they had to at the time. But yeah, just looking at this match in the full context, I know you'll probably mention this, but just completely out shooting PSG. 31 shots. I know that it was it's not 31 on frame, but 31 to 6. Uh, and I think it kind of tells you the story that we had that many chances. I think something like 12 or 13 of them were on frame. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think that just basically explains to you, yes, we're missing Robert Lewandowski. We've had this many chances and we've only scored two goals, albeit they were both nicely taken headers by uh, Chapo Moateng and Thomas Muller. Uh, but I think that kind of just tells the story right there. I thought Mauricio Pochettino and PSG did their homework. I thought they knew exactly how to hurt Bayern, which was on those counterattacks when Bayern starts to open up, when they're dom dominating possession. The early goal did not help from Mbappe. Neuer, you could see what he was trying to do. He was trying to go far post because he thought that's what Mbappe was going to do. Gets caught, jump diving a little bit too early, goes in between his legs, and that's just the worst start we could have hoped for after what I thought the first couple minutes starting on the front foot. For, to me, Jake, though, what the goal that infuriated me the most, all both of those goals, like the first one, Neuer dove wrong. Okay, that's fine. Counterattack, it's Neymar and Mbappe. They're two of the best in the world at doing that. Uh, the third goal, we were outstretched. We were finding, trying and finding to weigh. Excuse me, I just butchered that. We were clawing and fighting, trying to find a way to get that third goal. And I really think we were on the front foot and, you know, Mbappe shot that. It went through a number of bodies. Not much Neuer could do. But the second goal, just a second phase ball from Neymar back into the area, right to Marquinhos. It's almost just as, it's almost as if everybody had just switched off for a moment, was walking instead of sprinting to press that offside line or, you know, immediately checking back when they saw that Neymar was going to fizz that ball back in. And, you know, it went fell right to Marquinhos and nobody's within an arm's reach of him and 1v1 versus Neuer. And it was just, to me, that was the most infuriating goal. I thought that kind of changed the complexion of the game at that point. And, Jake, I know we can kind of use that as a segue as to what was going on on the sidelines. Uh, and with Leon Goretzka, Hansi Flick, Jerome Boateng, Yashua Kimmich, uh, and Alfonso Davies in the build-up to that second goal. Um, so I'll give you the floor kind of to address that and all of the subplots that that in of itself had. And obviously Yashua Kimmich was not a very happy man that Flick did not pull off uh, Goretzka prior to that second goal being scored, even though he knew he had a muscular problem. So... This was something that I was not aware of at the time watching it. I had heard from Twitter that somebody said they could hear um, Kimmich yelling for Hansi to take Goretzka off. Uh, to me, it didn't look like Goretzka came off injured. Uh, but, I mean, that makes perfect sense considering the time that he was pulled off in the 33rd minute of the game. But it's worse than we thought. It's not just Goretzka. It's Sula too. According to Hansi, after the match, uh, both Leon Goretzka and Nicolas Sula had to be substituted off after sustaining injuries, uh, muscular injuries, according to the club website. Uh, Hansi's quote is, both Leon and Nicolas have muscular injuries. The medical exams will show how long 
they will be out. So, I think Fonzie coming on to the field probably was the most crucial element in terms of turning the tide. I need Hansi to understand that you need to rest Davies at the weekend in order to start him in Paris fully healthy. Um, because Luca is a very good player. I think Luca was pretty good in this game. I think he did a pretty decent job. I didn't see him really get beaten. The problem was really down the right wing because that overlaps with the left wing and that's where Kylian Mbappe likes to call home. Um, so it's not necessarily fault of Benji or of Nick Sula, but, um, you know, that's kind of tough. I don't know. It's just, it's unfortunate going forward. My hope is that it's just slight injuries so that we can get um, them rested for this weekend going into the next week, the next week's game, right? Um, if we get Leon rested, Nick rested, if Gnabry comes back, then maybe we'll be able to do just good enough to lose on away goals. Um, but I I don't think this game was entirely because we were missing Robert Lewandowski, right? A team takes 31 shots in a game. You're not missing offensive firepower, right? I don't think there's necessarily a bad finisher among anyone. I think it's just that they took terrible shots, the entire game. Yeah, sure, you put 31, right? 10 were blocked, 9 were off target, 12 were on target. But of those 12 on target, for those that can that watch the entire game, how many of them were shot directly at Kalar Navas? I think a good majority of them, to my mind, at minimum 6 to 8 of them were shot right at Kalar Navas. And then the other two... Uh, Two others were, like, really good stretching saves that Navas made, and then two of them were goals. So, it's just a finishing problem. Would Lewandowski have helped? Yes. Would he have solved every problem? Absolutely not. Right? I think if anything, right, it's highly possible that we could have seen less shots taken, but they probably would have been better shots. I mean, we could also just acknowledge that Kaylor Navas had one hell of a game. No keeper that gets 10 saves should be considered that he didn't have a hell of a game. To me, he was the man of the match. By far and away, man of the match, right? Mbappe scored two, right? Neymar assisted two. Kaylor Navas made 10 saves. You're man of the match to me, right? Regardless of how good your goal scoring is in front of you, uh, I said it on the pod, but Bayern was the better team, I think, for this entire game, despite the scoreline, right? Two of those goals, the first two goals, were severe lapses in defensive judgment and defensive awareness, and you could see that, right? It was pretty clear, right? Neymar drew two defenders, and if somebody knew that Kylian Mbappe was coming at them, they would probably think twice before they went to go double cover Neymar, right? The other one, everyone was just caught fast asleep as a ball from Neymar went over the top into the box to Marquinhos, who also had to get taken off due to an injury, right? So if we remove those two goals, 
from our mindset, Bayern still had a pretty good chance, right? The reason in my post-game why I said I wasn't feeling confident is because I don't know how a team goes from taking 31 shots with a bunch of people injured and goes away to a second leg with no players coming back from being healthy, really, right, in terms of people that couldn't play beforehand, right? Not Goretzka, not, Sk- not Sula, because we don't know how bad their injuries are, but even if though if they're gone, then we're done for, I think. But I was saying this to people um, in our Slack channel, right? If Gnabry comes back, right, and Marco Verratti comes back, right, I'm going to... I'm going to say I don't know about Florenzi because Florenzi came positive about the same time that Gnabry did, right? If you bring back Gnabry and you bring back Marco Verratti, those are not equivalents. It's not like, oh, one is gaining a positive player, another is gaining a positive player, right? They're both positive players, but Marco Verratti is so much more important to the way that PSG operates their system than Serge Gnabry is to Bayern right? Then that's not discounting Serge, right? Serge is a fantastic player. It's just Verratti operates in a more central position and does a lot more on the ball. If he comes back, it's a completely different game. PSG are going to be a lot better defensively, a lot better in transition. They'll probably possess the ball a lot more than they did this game. It'll be a completely different game. And I say that because Verratti tested positive a little while before Florenzi did, so logically he would have more time to quarantine. So it's highly possible that we could see Verratti back, hopefully everything being okay with him, right? So if he comes back, then I don't necessarily know how Bayern fares in that game. Right now I know that one player isn't everything, but to me, Verratti is probably more akin to like the Kimmich of that team. If we lost Yozua Kimmich, we'd be in a lot of trouble. So I think that PSG did very well for not having their idea of a Kimmich on the field. And if he comes back, then everyone's going to need to be on their game. That's all I'm saying. Everyone's going to need to be on their game going into this. Um, In terms of people that played on the field, uh, Jerome Boateng... Had himself one heck of a game today. Uh, I love Boa. He did not have a good game. He did not have a good game at all. That goal from Mbappe could have easily been stopped. Uh, it didn't really look like he wanted to close him down. He looked like he was about to get beat, right? Like, if Mbappe didn't stop and then shoot it at his in between Boateng's feet, then he would have gotten around Boateng. Right? He's good this year. Last year was something else. And I think I said it on a podcast a couple of months ago where I said any good year you get past the age of 30 is a miracle unless you're like Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. Any year you get beyond that is a miracle and should not be considered as a benchmark for what to expect in the future. And I think Boateng is a perfect example of that because this year he's been good. He has not been his best, and he has not been nearly as good as last year. And so Bayern have made the decision that they are not going to renew his contract. I think it's the right decision. I think tonight kind of proved it. There are some rumors of him to MLS. I would absolutely go see Jerome Boateng play in MLS. Wherever he went, I would drive to the closest city, and I would 
I would do my best to try and show up for the pregame to say hello to him and get his attention. Uh, so, Boa, if you're listening to this and you're going to MLS, hit me up and I will absolutely do it. Uh, no doubt. We just we, we all remember the best of you and we hope that you get the best in the future is all I will say about that. Tom, what are your thoughts on uh, on Bayern saying that they're not going to renew Boateng's contract? Well, yeah, I just wanted to start by adding both Thomas Muller and Lewandowski to the over 30 list about, you know, miracles because they sh- definitely should be in that conversation as well, in my opinion. But yeah, with, with Boateng, especially tonight, I wonder how much it, it, I mean, I know he's a veteran player. He's very, very used to these high stress situations, you know, with uh, a packed Allianz Arena or a packed uh, Parc de Prince. So it's not as if he, this isn't something he wasn't used to, but uh, you know, with the whole substitution situation with Goretzka coming off of that muscular injury, remember it was Boateng who Flick was initially readying to bring on uh, for Goretzka, but then decided uh, at the last minute that he wanted to bring on Davies instead. So I'm not sure if that maybe affected Boateng's head a little bit or, you know, uh, if he was left irritated by that or, or how that might have affected proceedings. But, of course, uh, I think it was only about 10 minutes later he had to come on for the injured Nicolas Sula. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree, too. I think with that Mbappe goal, uh, his second I'm referring to, I think Boateng was just too afraid of uh, taking him down and conceding a penalty. Uh, I know that Boateng sometimes has a tendency to do that, Jake, as you mentioned, because he does have a susceptibility to get beat. Uh, especially as a bigger guy, um, you know, it's a lot easier uh, for their hips to get turned. It's not, They can't turn their hips as quickly as some of the younger, quicker, more agile players uh, like Davies or uh, Hernandez or David Alaba. So I get it. I know those situations. He tried to put himself in a safe situation in between uh, Mbappe and uh, and the goal to cut down the angle. And <laughs> Mbappe gave him a little bit of a nutmeg. And Neuer was literally stood to the spot. He didn't even move. There was no way he could save that. But yeah, the club has made it clear they're not going to renew his contract at the end of the season. I think uh, a lot of us, it's its crazy to think back during the Niko Kovac era. I mean, it was pretty much uh, set in stone that he was going to go at that point, And then we just got a bonus two seasons from him. Remember back to, you know, that period where even Ilyonis was saying, you know, I think it's really time that you find another club because at FC Bayern, it's not going to be it. You know, it's time for you to move on. And just as you were speaking about bonus years past the age of 30, I mean, his how instrumental and influential he was for our treble success and treble triumph last season, you know, that is an absolute godsend and a you know, an, an added bonus not only for him but for us as Bayern fans and everything that he uh helped us achieve and be able to experience during a season last year that was uh for for large parts very depressing because of coronavirus. So um I think he'll get the proper send off. Uh, as to where his destination is going to be, I'm not sure. I agree that would be very interesting to see him in MLS. And um, Jake, we're not too far away from New England Revolution, so whoever he plays for, we could definitely make a trip up there, um, or you know, crash Chuck's place in in Pennsylvania, and go see him in Philadelphia. Um, but we'll see where he winds up. I wish him the best of luck. I, I know all Bayern fans would too. Um, but for now, let's get the, the best out of him. When you said the best of you, it just reminded me of the Foo Fighters song. It's been on my workout playlist quite a bit. Um, I started singing it in my head. But let's get the best out of him before the season concludes. And hopefully we have uh, two more trophies to lift at the end of the season.
if he goes to Philadelphia, he might actually become the first Philadelphia player that I actively root for in real life, which would really be saying something. Uh, final, final thing that we have to talk about, the continuing developments in the situation between Hassan Salihamidzic and uh, Hansi Flick. I want to talk specifically about something that I wrote earlier this week, uh, the comments of former Bayern player Lothar Mateus. Uh, he had said something to the effect that he doesn't believe the relationship is going to last very long. He even made the prediction that after this leg of the Champions League, that he is going to go to uh, Herbert Heiner and Kalle and Oliver Kahn and say that he's done, that he can't be able to do it anymore. Um, it's it's basically caused people to um, to question like whether you're on Team Brazo or Team Hansi. Um, for the record, let's let's just establish both of them have done fantastic things. We both appreciate both of the things that they have done for the club. All of that being said, Tom, whose side are you on? Well, there's a lot of weight to that question and what I mean by weight is there's just so much that goes into it. Um, I would say it, just if I had to give a surface answer to that, I would say, I mean, I love Hansi Flick as a coach and I, I want him to stay at Bayern Munich forever. I realize that's not a possibility and it's not feasible, but Team Brazo in the sense that there's a way that this club is run and there's a way that this club is structured and I think even Hansi Flick knows that as much as it might irritate him with, you know, the, the limits to the says, the, excuse me, the limit to his say and transfer policies and squad planning decisions. Uh, the way the club is structured, it's supposed to be Hassan Salihamidzic's job, Brazo's job to focus on that. Uh, Bayern Munich's supervisory board, you know, they can veto transfer decisions if they exceed a certain limit. I believe it's something like 25 million or 30 million euros. Uh, so there's a lot working against Hansi Flick in that regard, in the sense that he would like to have more say, and I think it's clearly obvious with some of the differing opinions that he and Brazo have had in the past couple of transfer windows. Um, and regardless of what they say to the press, like there's definitely some tension there. Um, and for any, for that matter, if it's Hansi Flick, you know, having those opinions or Nico Kovac or, uh, I mean, Yup Heinkis or anyone, any manager that's managed FC Bayern or any future manager that will manage FC Bayern, they're going to be put in that position because that's just the way, uh, the club is. So. I would say I want Hansi Flick to stay around, and I actually agree with some of his transfer personnel decisions, uh, especially in, in recent transfer windows. I agree with the players he wanted to bring in, but I just think Team Brazo and Bayern structure is always going to win in the end. I think it was uh, our own Phil Quinn who had said in Slack earlier, you know, Bayern Bayern's board is never going to be dismantled or replaced, and but Bayern coaches can be replaced a lot more easier. So in that regard, Team Brazo, but... You know, I hate saying that because I want Flick to stay just as long as possible, and uh, I want him to stay and fulfill the rest of his contract and not leave to coach the German national team early or, uh, you know, 
I don't think he would be kicked off for disagreements with with Brazo and the board, but you know, if that were to happen, I would absolutely hate that. So that's where I stand on that, and kind of reminds me of the <laughs> from a few years ago, Jake. Uh, what was it, Team Brittany versus Team T Swift? That feud they had going on for whatever reason. Um, I also would like to hear where, where you side on that too. I have no side in that argument, and I will never have a side in that argument. And that is that, and that is all I am going to say. Um, I find it, I find it interesting how you are Team Brazo and pro Hansi staying. When I am the exact opposite. Now, I'll clarify when I say exact opposite. I want Hanzi to stay, but I have resigned myself to the fact that he is not going to stay. I, I've really thought very long and very hard about all of this. I do not think Hanzi Flick is going to stay at Bayern Munich this summer. I think that with all of these reports, I think... Uh, the when there's smoke, there's fire rule applies. I mostly don't believe most of the things that tabloids say, but if it's multiple tabloids reporting the same thing, then I think it's an issue, and I think it's a problem. And I also think that there are forces outside of the control of Bayern where it would make a lot more sense, because listen to this, like, hear me out, right? The DF Bay would never go after somebody as young as Julian Nagelsmann, in my opinion. And I don't even think Nagelsmann would take the job if he was offered it, because he's young in his career. He's good at coaching, but the national team job is usually something for somebody who's in the middle of a coaching change, who knows a system well enough but does not need to be involved constantly. Take a look at Niko Kovac as a prime example. Niko Kovac wasn't really doing much until he got hired as the Croatian national team manager going into the 2014 World Cup. And then what happened in the subsequent aftermath of that? He got the job at Eintracht Frankfurt. He did fantastic there. Came to Bayern. Now he's doing pretty well at Monaco. Good for him. Um, I think the same thing happened to Hansi, right? He was the first team coach at Hoffenheim. And then got hired up to 2014, where Hansi Flick single-handedly brought Germany a World Cup. It was definitely not Yogi. Um, and then he came to Bayern as an assistant coach, and now he's here and he's done fantastic things. I want him to stay. I just also think that if there was any time for him to leave Bayern Munich for any gig it would be the German national job, and therefore I think there is no better opportunity that he will get than this one, and that's why I think he's going to leave, especially at a time where he's not able to be the man in charge of making decisions in terms of transfers, which I agree with the concept of the structure, right? You don't want the manager making all of the decisions, but I also think that, and I'm only speculating because I don't know what actually works on the inside and how the system operates. I think that a manager should at least have 50% of the say in terms of what's getting brought in. Right? Like if we consider the fact that Hansi and Brazo were torn on two players over the summer, right? Brazo wanted to bring in younger players because he's had success with younger players, right? Um, 
bringing in Musiala, I'm pretty sure was all him. Fantastic coup there. Bringing in Tangi Nyanzu, great prospect for the future. Hope that he does well. Um, but at the same time, younger prospects at this time wasn't exactly what Bayern needed. They needed wingers. They needed good wingers, right? Hansi wanted to keep Ivan Perisic. They did not keep Ivan Perisic, and they ended up having to bring in Douglas Costa, right? He wanted to bring in Timo Werner, which, hindsight, great job, Brazo, in terms of not bringing in Timo Werner. That might be the one thing that I have absolutely loved him doing is not bringing in Timo Werner because he would have been nearly as bad at Bayern as he is at Chelsea. Um, he wanted to bring in Kai Havertz. Now, whether or not that will work, it's a, it's a debate, right? And I'll be honest with you, I would rather be in the position that we are now, where we don't have Havertz, but we are in line to sign uh, Kamavinga from Rennes, uh, than the other way around. Um, so I don't necessarily think that Brazo has done bad things. I think he's done fantastic things for the youth development and for the future of this team. Right, He's done a pretty good job there. But I am just... I'm more on Team Hanzi, less because of the man and a hatred for Brazo, but more the idea. Right, I think that there should be an even harmony in terms of who has say over transfer decisions. Right, Because if Hanzi is going to play the team he should at least have 50% of the say in terms of building it as well. If he has a system, he knows how the system runs, right? And it's very much not like baseball where um, where it's very less play-reliant and very more situationally reliant, right? And you just want players that will work well in situations, right? This is a very tactical sport. It's a very intricate sport. And we've seen players that are very good go to managers that are very good. And it just doesn't work out. That's just a example, a prime example of soccer being a tactical sport. I guess the prime example could be Werner, right? He works fantastically in the system that uh, Leipzig had, that Nagelsmann had for him, right? He goes to another great manager in Frank Lampard, doesn't really do it for him. He gets replaced with Thomas Tuchel. He's not doing it that well for Thomas Tuchel either, right? All of them are great people, but he doesn't fit the system. So I think there's no person better that understands a manager's system than the manager. Therefore, I believe the manager should at least have 50% of the say in terms of bringing it in. Unless he's like a young manager that does not have his system or a good grasp of the transfer market down packed. Right? But Pep should have 50%. Uh, Tickle should have 50%. And I think Hansi, based on his results last year, deserves to have half the say in making transfer decisions. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel the same too. And, you know, especially as you mentioned, Timo Werner. Also, I would even argue um, Ralph Hasenhutl and Ralph Ranić's systems. I thought Timo Werner was brilliant in those systems. Likewise, uh, Nagelsmann's before uh, Werner left to Chelsea. And I wish there was a way for 
it to be significant, not significantly, I think it's a bit too harsh, but more harmonious from Bayern's perspective. Um, maybe look at a way or look for ways they can slightly revamp the say that certain people have on the supervisory board and the executive board. Not to not to discredit Brazo at all. Um, I think he's done some great work. He's also done some work that a lot of people aren't fans of and that a lot of people would disagree with, including Hansi Flick, which is clearly obvious uh, to Bayern fans and even people who aren't Bayern fans. Um, but, yeah, Jake, as you may, it's just between, for me, between a rock and a hard place because... I know that that's what I want, and I completely agree. And I know, you know, I know if Chuck were on here with us tonight, he'd be saying the same thing and, you know, kind of relaying that that's why Flick is relatively frustrated and, you know, is proverbially sometimes just holding the hands up and kind of saying, you know, I wanted these guys. I didn't get them, so I'm having to kind of adapt the system based off of that even though I have a system in my head I have a system that I want to play and you know we've seen managers do this all the time granted not every club is as uh, fiscally conservatively um, and well run as as Bayern Munich but you know I can think went back when Mourinho was manager of Manchester United constantly sending a message to Ed Woodward saying that you know I wanted these guys, but I got these guys. This is why this isn't working. It was always kind of a fallback blanket excuse for him when, when they were not doing well during his tenure there. Uh, likewise, even a little bit with Pochettino at Spurs, if you remember, they had quite a few transfer windows where they did almost no business uh, when they were uh, funding their new stadium, which is state-of-the-art. Um, so there's there's just so many examples of this. But for obviously, we're just focusing on Bayern Munich and the way that they're run between the exec board, supervisory board, and the manager. And um, yeah, I just it would be so not to take away anything that we've had in the past couple seasons because I wouldn't trade that for the world, especially last season. But it would be very interesting to see uh, if there wasn't that roadblock, so to speak, of Hassan Sadi Hamadic and the exec board and. Hansi Flick was just able to get the players that he wanted for reasonable rates. And uh, I'd be curious, like, you know, just what would Bayern Munich look like if we had Sané, Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, uh, and a few others, you know, maybe even Hudson Adoy. Uh, I know that Brazo and Flick have kind of flip flopped on him. But that's all just speculation and what ifs because <laughs> that's not what happened because of the, the structure that's in place at Bayern Munich. I guess that's where I'll end. I know that's. We can go much deeper into this, but the decision isn't up to us, and we'll just have to react to what happens when it does happen. And when it does happen, you will be sure to hear about it and read about it from us first. That is where we are going to end this episode. Thank you all for listening. Please be sure to like, rate, share, subscribe, and download us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your quality audio content. Follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks. Follow Tom on Twitter at TommyAdam71. Follow me on Twitter at JeffersonFenner. And until next time when we have a Der Ausblick episode before Bayern's Bundesliga game at the weekend, we will see you later. Auf Wiedersehen.